Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to go to the book of Exodus, the 12th chapter. The book of Exodus, the 12th chapter. Exodus chapter number 12, we're just going to read two verses of text this morning. Amen. Chapter number 12, verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the, ha- the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the new year, or of the year to you. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Praise God. I wanted to talk to you this morning. Uh, I have wanted to preach this for the last few weeks, uh, but through varying circumstances, vacations, and guest speakers uh, have been unable to. But uh, it's a new year, praise God. And so uh, I want a new life. It's a new year, and I want a new life. So, so today, the, the, the subject that I feel like the Lord has given me is I choose new life. I choose new life. God bless you. You can be seated. Amen. I'm going to tell you this morning, it is your choice. It's your choice. Praise God. Punch your neighbor and tell him it's your choice. Some of you are going just a little too easy on people. Some of you are going a little too hard. Amen. There's something about the changing of the calendar that brings a change or desire to change within each of us. We are a people that like to use the landmarks found within time to mark a change that we want to occur in our lives. How many times have we said, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll wait to begin that next week. The calendar becomes more to us than just a way of counting the days of the year. We use it as a way to mark the, importance, the important events in our lives. Some people, many people, rather than make a change in their lives midway through a week, they'll decide to wait until Monday. Or if the year is almost over, they say, oh, well, I'll just wait until next year which is why we have so many people starting New Year's resolutions. We do that to ourselves, acting like there's some sort of magic that happens at the stroke of midnight on the day that we choose that we're going to make the change. Let me just tell you something this morning, that you don't have to wait until some magic, mystical moment in which all the stars align, and it's somehow easier in those moments than it was just a moment ago. Or somehow today is better than yesterday. Your life can be changed today. Your life can be changed in these moments that we have at hand right now. Your direction can be altered in the moments that we have before us. Your hope can be revived today. 
Praise God, your sins can be forgiven and your salvation found today. Somebody say today. I will say, I am one of those, count me guilty, who likes to use the time or the landmarks that are found in time. But what I have found is that oftentimes, if we're not careful, those landmarks in time will be used as a, uh, 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 we, we look to those as, that's, that's being used to point to a day of change and we'll put off the things that we should do today. We'll put off the change that we should make today until tomorrow. That's the procrastinator's motto. Why do today what you can put off until tomorrow? Any, any procrastinators in the house? Some of you are lying by not raising your hands. I'm just teasing you. They'll raise their hands tomorrow. There we go. <laughs> but that's the procrastinator's motto. And so if we're not careful, we'll put off the change that we want. Not just that we need, but the change that we want, we'll put it off until tomorrow because somehow we feel like it's going to be easier tomorrow. You see, some things, it makes sense to use the landmarks of days and times. But other things, and I would dare say most things, the best time is right now. I have found that for most things in our lives, but specifically the changes that we need to make for our salvation, needs to be made now. Not waiting, not looking for another day or time. Now. Everybody say now. When the opportunity is in front of you is when you need to reach out and grab it. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us that time and chance happens to all men. But it doesn't tell us that the time and chance is going to stay in front of you. Because today is the only, this is the only moment that you have because the next moment is not guaranteed. Your life, James said, is but a vapor. It's here, but for a moment. You don't know what's going to happen, and I'm not trying to scare anybody with this. I'm just telling you that the time for change is right now, and you've got to be the one to make the choice. And so an opportunity is before you today. Tomorrow, with all of the hope that it could bring, is not promised to you. So now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. In fact, I, I love the scripture that, that Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse number 1. He says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Folks, you're not going to get any younger tomorrow than you are today. So this is your youth when you read that scripture. I, I hear what the 50 is the new 30. It doesn't matter. We're still not getting any younger. Only one getting younger is Bishop. He's going, he's going backwards. He's down to 39, I think now, right? By the way, happy. Is it 81 or 82, Brother Bolden? 82. That's right. He, 
He likes to brag he's a year older than you, Bishop. So in our text, when we go into the book of Exodus like we started, we see that there is promise. The Lord gave to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. God was not just giving them a new year of the calendar. He was giving them a new calendar. This was the start of their calendar. This wasn't just the changing of the year. This was, in fact, the first of the years that God was giving to them. And so the context of this is that Joseph, used by God to save his family by bringing Jacob and his sons, who were the heirs according to the promise given by God to Abraham, along with their families, he brought them into Egypt to save them from famine. And in Egypt... In the land of Goshen, they were blessed, and they grew in number. But it was some time later, after Joseph had passed away, the scripture records that there was a new Pharaoh who saw the potential in the Jews. He saw the potential in the children of Israel, and he was threatened by it. Exodus chapter 1, verse number 8. Now there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. He says, Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass when there falls out a war, uh, they join, us, a, a, a join against us, uh, join also our enemies, there we go, and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. And so what did the Egyptians do? They set up taskmasters to afflict them with burdens. They built for Pharaoh treasure cities and Pithom and Ramses. But, but the more they afflicted them, praise God, the more that the Egyptians afflicted the Hebrews, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Let me tell somebody this morning that before you the temptations of sin, beginning with Adam and Eve and carrying into your own temptations because let me just remind you what James says that that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lusts and enticed so you've got something in your life that is a temptation to you it stems from your own lusts and so we can't just point back to Adam and Eve I tell I tell my my employees every day at work you've got to own it you've got to own it. it's yours the choices that you make today are yours and so when we when we look back and we we not just Adam and Eve but into our own temptations that are put before you the enemy of your soul is trying to ensnare you 
We're told in Scripture that the devil is as a roaring lion roaming to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. He is the tempter. He is the accuser of the brethren. He is trying to get you. Why? Because the enemy, hallelujah, he sees and he knows your potential. He knows the potential that can be found in the children of God. I don't know if you hear me this morning. When Pharaoh saw the potential that was in the Hebrews, that they were growing in number, he worried that they would join forces against them with other armies. And so he found a way working wisely to bring them into bondage and captivity. And that's exactly what the enemy, the devil, and his demons are trying to do to you. Because he sees the potential in you. Folks, I'm not a motivational speaker today. I hope, I hope you're not listening to me like I'm a motivational speaker. When you are filled with the Holy Ghost, I'm not talking about just living life. I'm talking about there is potential in the children of God. And you are a child of God when you have the Spirit of God. If you have not the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. And so you must be filled with the Holy Ghost to be counted as a child of God and as such, there is potential found in you. John records in, in the book of John chapter 1, he tells us that to them who received him, being Jesus, to them gave he power, for what? To become the sons of God. And in Acts chapter 1, we're told that by Jesus, he told his disciples, he said that, that you wait in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And that power is dunamis. That is where we get our word dynamite. It's doing. It's explosive power. Dynamite is nothing in itself until it is lit. There is great potential in dynamite, but something needs to set it off. Somebody needs to get full of the Holy Ghost and be ready to do something with it. Because God gives you power, as Jesus said, that when you receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Hallelujah. It started with just 120 on the day of Pentecost in the upper room. And suddenly, praise God, suddenly dynamite just exploded. It just went off. And everybody's wondering what in the world happened. And when they're looking around wondering what's going on, that's when Peter starts to use that power. And he begins to declare Jesus and him crucified. And on that day, from 120 in an upper room, the Bible says there were 3,000 added to the church on that day. And the Lord continued to add to the church daily such as should be saved. 
Folks, the devil knows that there is potential in the child of God for that same explosive power to change our world, to turn our world upside down. And so what he's going to try to do is he's going to try to ensnare you and entrap you to cause you to give in to your temptations and your lusts. Because when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Pharaoh was astonished. He thought that by by bringing them into captivity, that by putting taskmasters over them, that not only would they be subdued, but that their growth would diminish. Folks, that's not what God has purposed for his people. And the more that he afflicted them, the more they grew. We see that in the book of Acts. We see that as as persecution began to arise, that something happened. There's what's called the diaspora. That those, the church, that the more persecution happened, the more they spread out. Folks, that was their worst nightmare. The church went everywhere proclaiming the gospel. There's potential in the child of God, explosive power to change the people around you and the world around you. And the devil's trying to bring you to a place in your heart and mind that he can ensnare you and get you to stop. He wants to stop you where you are because he sees what you can do. He knows what can happen when somebody's filled with the Holy Ghost. He knows what can happen when somebody has the name of Jesus upon their lives. He knows what can happen in somebody's life when they have the blood of Christ upon them. Folks, there's potential. Stop bemoaning your situations. Stop being frustrated with your living. I'm not not a motivational speaker this morning. I'm talking to you about biblical things, spiritual things. Stop acting like you are are on the low rung of the, the totem pole. Forgive me for using that reference. Stop acting like you're, you're worthless, that you're not, not, not any good or any value. Because the devil sees the value in you. The devil sees the potential in you. That's why he's trying to give, get, bring temptation your way. To stop you from what God can do in and through you. If he can do that, then your your ministry, what God can do in your life, in your home, in your marriage, on your job, in the people around you, all of that gets affected if he can ensnare you with sin. Oh yes, the prince of darkness, he knows the potential in you. The problem is that the Hebrews didn't see their own potential. You understand that? They didn't see their own potential, which is why they allowed themselves to be taken into bondage of slavery for 400 years. 
Folks, it's not worth it. We've got to see what God has given to us. We've got to see the potential and the power in what God has poured into our lives. If we don't, then we are in danger of this very thing because it didn't just affect those in that generation that were taken into bondage that first time. It affected their children and their children's children and their children after them for 400 years, generation after generation, they were all affected because they did not see their own potential. They should have done something about it. But folks, let me just tell you this something, something this morning. We have a God who is able to work all things together for our good. <laughs> because although God did not cause their problem, God did not cause them to go into bondage, but He knew that they would. In fact, He told Abraham when He gave him the promise that He would have children as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore, that he told Abraham that in a, a, a generation to come that, your, that my people would be taken into bondage for 400 years. He told that to Abraham. Abraham is long gone by the time that they were taken into slavery. God knew what was going to happen. He didn't cause it, but he prepared them because God had a plan. Folks, I thank the Lord. He's, he's, not, he's not working anything for your ill. He's not working anything to hurt you or hinder you. He is working all things together for your good. If you love Him and are the called according to His purpose, He's working for your good. It doesn't matter what the enemy does to you. It doesn't matter the circumstances that you're facing right now because it, it's in His hands. It's in his hands. He can shape it and mold it and make it into whatever he wants to do. But all we've got to do is respond. So God's working his plan. His plan used the pain and the suffering of his people. Again, he didn't cause it, but he used it. When the children were being killed by Pharaoh's army, one was spared. One that we have record of was spared. And that child, through the providence of the Almighty, was nursed by his own mother and raised in Pharaoh's own home as, the, uh, as Pharaoh's own child. And when that man was old enough to understand what was happening, he made a choice. The book of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, tells us that by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing, everybody say choosing, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God 
than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And through the, the narrative of what happened in Moses' life, when he made that choice, he ended up fleeing for his life because he killed an Egyptian who was attacking or, or taskmastering a Hebrew. And out there in the wilderness, on the side of a mountain, that's where Moses met God for the first time. He saw a bush that was on fire. It was burning, but it was not being burned away. And so he, the Bible tells us that he turned aside to see this thing. And when he turned aside to see this thing, God began to speak to him from that burning bush. It was here that Moses received his calling and was given his purpose. It would be he that would be used by God to bring deliverance to the children of Israel. And when he goes back, he starts to proclaim not only to the Israelites, hey, things are about to change. But he goes before Pharaoh himself and declares to Pharaoh, let my people go. Well, Pharaoh doesn't take too kindly to people telling him what to do. You see, in his mind and in the minds of the Egyptians, he also was a god. And so God decided that in his work to bring his people out of bondage, that he would work signs and wonders among them through the auspices of ten plagues upon Israel's taskmasters. Each plague revealing God's power over the gods of Egypt, who were no gods. The Nile turned to blood, the frogs, the lice, the, the boils upon man and beast, and so on it went for nine plagues. Even their most powerful God, the sun god Ra, had to submit to God Almighty, Jehovah, Yahweh, choose your way of describing Him. Even their sun god had to submit when God brought darkness upon the land of Egypt. And God didn't just bring darkness upon Egypt. He said, you know what? No, no light over here, but I'll let light be on my people in Goshen. God's in control. And each time with each plague, Pharaoh was given an opportunity to change. But rather than change, the Bible tells us that he hardened his heart and would not let Israel go. Doesn't that just feel like how it's been? is that with each step forward, here, here comes Moses, we've got hope. A plague comes. Surely Pharaoh's going to let us go. In fact, Pharaoh says, you know what, I, I'll let you go. And then and he changes his mind. And that's how it feels sometimes as we're going through life and having our struggles and circumstances and trials and tribulations is we take a step forward because things are getting better only to get knocked back. And it feels like we're not making the headway that we, we, we feel like we should be as a child of God. Folks, nine plagues. Nine plagues God brought upon Egypt. 
nine times that God's people had a level of hope given that this is going to bring us out. This is going to release us from our bondage. And hopes are risen and hopes are crashed. Folks, God was not caught by surprise by any of this. Because at this time, God says there's just one more thing. There's just one more opportunity. One more chance I'm going to give to Pharaoh. And so what God does, because God's not done. (laughs) God's not done. There's one more plague that he has planned. It is with and through this plague that God will break the yoke of Pharaoh upon Israel. Exodus chapter 11, verse number 1. The Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one more plague, one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards he will let you go, and when he shall let you go, he'll surely thrust you out hence altogether. Just get out. And so God gave Moses instructions of what to tell the people of Israel. The Lord, folks, is, is he's fighting your battles. <laughs> the Lord is fighting your battles. There's an old song that if, if we hold our peace and let the Lord fight our battles, victory, victory shall be mine. Hallelujah. It's just a couple chapters later in Exodus 14 as they're standing before the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army charging behind them that Moses tells the people of Israel to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord because the Lord will fight for you this day. Hallelujah. Praise God. Folks, we're too often trying to fight our own battles. We've got to learn how to surrender and submit those things to the Lord because He's working for your good. Amen. So with this plague, Moses, you will be free. You don't have much time to prepare. Exodus 12, verse number 3. God tells Moses to speak unto the congregation of Israel, saying, in the tenth day of this month, they'll take to them every man a lamb. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. If the lamb's too too uh, little for the if, if the household's too little for the lamb, let him and his uh, neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of souls. Basically, share the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. Verse five, a male of the first year, you shall take it out of the sheep from uh, among the goats. You shall keep it un- up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening and here's what you're going to do when you've taken that lamb and you've slain it you're going to catch the blood of that lamb in a bowl and you're going to take that blood and you're going to smear it upon the doorposts and the lintel of your house and when you do that you're going to eat the flesh of that lamb that night roast with fire or unleavened bread with bitter herbs and you shall eat it Verse number 10, let nothing of it remain until the morning. And verse 11, thus you shall eat it. And notice what he tells them. When you eat this, you're going to eat it with your loins girded. In other words, you need to be dressed. Have your belt on. 
your shoes on your feet, your staff in hand, and you're going to eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Because I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt this night and smite the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Verse 13. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you. I will smite the land of Egypt. It was a promise of hope for tomorrow. But it would come through the blood of the Lamb. I hope you hear me this morning. It was a promise of deliverance from their bondage. And it was going to come through the simple blood of a Lamb. It wasn't something uh, uh, that, that would be uh, uh, something that we would do miraculously ourselves. No, we would simply obey a, a, a simple instruction by the Lord and be ready to go. Folks, they already had nine plagues and Pharaoh didn't let them go. So they had to be prepared in faith on the tenth plague that God is going to cause our deliverance to happen tonight. Folks, God's wanting to bring you out of bondage. That old life, that's where He's wanting to bring you from. He's seen your struggles. He knows your trials, your hurts, and your pains. He's heard your cries in the night, praying for deliverance from your circumstances and situations. But I'm going to tell you, the prophet has declared in Isaiah 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, and neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. He knows where you are, and he can do something about it. And he will. Praise God. He wants to bring you out. You see, you've been in bondage again to fear. But God has not given us the spirit of fear. He has given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. But it's your choice. It's your choice. You see, they had the choice to take the instruction that Moses gave to them from God. It was their choice to take that lamb out from among their flocks. It was their choice to slay that lamb and catch the blood of that lamb in a bowl. It would be their choice to smear that blood upon the doorposts and lintel of their house. It was their choice. And I, I don't see anywhere in Scripture, and somebody, if you know the Scripture, please tell me after church. But I don't see anywhere in the text that it was only limited to the Hebrews. That if an Egyptian wanted to obey the word of God, that they too could come out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand like the Jews. They too could make the choice to obey the word of the Lord. But no matter the circumstance, they had to obey if they wanted 
to make the choice to leave the old life behind and step into the new life of promise. It was their choice. They had to obey the word of the Lord. The ways and workings of Egypt, if they chose, could continue to be their living. And they could continue to serve the gods of Egypt. Or they could choose to have hope for tomorrow. Something we all desire. They could choose to know that things will get better. It's something we all hope for. So those who obeyed the Lord, those who applied the blood of the Lamb to their doorposts and lintel, it would be they who would walk out of their homes in the morning, leaving their old lives of bondage and fear and taskmasters behind and walking forward into the promise and purpose of God that He has prepared for them and their new life. But it was only possible through the blood. The blood was the dividing point of yesterday and today. The blood was the dividing point of fear and hope. It was the dividing point of the old and the new. We're told in Scripture, in John chapter 1, verse 29, that the baptizer, one day he saw... Jesus coming. John sees Jesus coming unto him in verse 29 and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In fact, it was the other John who wrote Revelation that revealed that Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Folks, He's been working all things together for your good all this time. <laughs> You've just got to choose whether you're going to receive and hear the word of God and obey and allow the blood of Christ to be applied to your life, to change you. Praise God. I love what Paul says, and I don't have the scripture reference offhand, but there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Praise God. Praise God. Isn't that awesome? That when they opened the door that morning, having been spared death that night, when they opened that door, they were leaving the old ways behind. And as soon as they crossed that threshold, the blood had made a new way for them. Because now they didn't have to go back to their fields. Now they didn't have to go back to the mud pits. Now they didn't have to go back to their labors. Now they could walk forward. In fact, they did. The Bible tells us that when they left Egypt, that they took all the Egyptian stuff and they left with a high hand. Anybody ever had victory in sport and said, yes! And that's what they were doing. Yes! We're free! 
Yes, we've been delivered. Yes, look, I took their stuff. Praise God. And that's what they did. They came out with a high hand, leaving the old life behind and marching forward into the new. Would you stand with me this morning? He's heard your cries and he's made the way for your redemption. It comes through the blood of Christ. But how do we, knowing what they did, they had to apply the blood of that lamb to the doorpost and lintel. How do we do that? How do we step into a new life? Let me tell you this morning, new life is found through new birth. One night, a man named Nicodemus came to Jesus. It was secretive. And he came to Jesus and said, Hey, teacher, we know that you're, you're a, a, a teacher come from God. No man can do these things unless God sent him. And Jesus told Nicodemus, He says, Hey, mister, you need to be born again. Or you can't enter into the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I don't know if he was being facetious or not. But Jesus responded back to him, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. New life happens with new birth. The new birth is possible because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, the life that Adam gave up, he was supposed to live, for all accounts, forever. Because he had access to the tree of life. But when he chose his disobedience and gave in to sin, the Bible tells us that from that time, sin and death passed upon all men. So how do we go back to that point? How do we go back to that relationship? Well, the Bible calls Jesus through Paul's writings that Jesus is the second man, Adam. And he made a way. God became flesh and dwelt among us. God who could not bleed became man that he could bleed. God who could not die became man that he could die. To pay the price, to be the sacrifice for you and I. And the way that we apply that blood that was shed on the cross as we find that place of repentance of sin. And in that place of repentance, that's where we crucify the old man. That's where the old man, the old life, that's where he dies. Repentance is found when you ask, find a place like an altar and you ask God to forgive you of your sin. 
and you let God know, I'm not going back that way. I am not going back to that old life and those decisions. I'm going to walk forward into the new life that you have prepared for me. And when you make that decision, you can't, you can't walk forward into the new life in the old, old ways as, it, as the old man. So what do you do with somebody who dies? You bury them. You've heard me say it before. It looks a lot like a coffin. When we're buried, with, buried in the waters of baptism, we are buried with Christ. rise to walk in newness of life and then the, the, the breath of life is promised to you through the gift of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said to be born of water and of spirit. But you've got to crucify the old man first. And so I invite you this morning. I invite you to find a place at the altar here and the chairs here in the front to find that place of repentance. God, I don't want to live that life anymore. Please forgive me of my sin. Would you begin making your way this morning? Maybe if, you, if you've been living for God sometime, but maybe you're struggling. Maybe you just want to rededicate and reconsecrate your life. But no matter what, he wants us to move forward in him. To not be stuck in the past and the struggles and the strifes without hope. Hallelujah. Would you begin to pray all over this house this morning? In Jesus' name.